<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buffalo Plus YouTube channel. I'm Mike Catalano. Thanks for being with us. Make sure to subscribe, like, and comment when you get a second. Hey, look, we've got somebody special on with us this week. The Bills taking on the Houston Texans. We've got a guy who played for the Texans, who's worked in Houston, been on the air there for a decade. Let's bring in Seth Payne from Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Seth, thanks for being on with us. Thanks for um, thanks for having me, man. Uh, look, it's uh, I'm excited to be on with you because you were – you were there, I believe, starting around when I was about 10 years old. Oh, yeah. Old, and when it was WOKR. I don't know when you guys switched to WHAM, but I, I can adjust to the times. You got it, man. Well, yeah, I've been there a long time. And <laughs> seeing a team like the Bills, you know, make the transition of, let's see, great, uh, irrelevant for two decades, and now they're back to being really good again. From a guy who knows this league, who played in the league, who watches the league, what are you seeing out of the Buffalo Bills? Um, You know, the... I was really excited to sit down and watch the Bills because the Texans played on Thursday night. So I was able to just sit down and like a like a normal person watch the football game on Sunday. And I I was kind of expecting what we'd seen in the first couple of weeks where Josh Allen hadn't been as accurate as he was last year. It looked like maybe he'd like forgotten some of those lessons he'd learned about his mechanics. And man. He just he came in and you would have thought that the wind was like one to two miles per hour in that stadium, the way he was throwing the football. So I think the fact that he's throwing the ball as well as he is, that he is truly the real deal as a quarterback, combined with the fact that the defense looks plenty opportunistic. Look, they're they're probably right this moment, the best team in the AFC, and they're they're definitely way better than the Texans are right now. We got issues down here. Yeah, let's let's get into those issues with the Texans. Um, well, let's start with the biggest one. Uh, and I've heard you say it on your show and on podcasts, and I don't know if you still feel that way. Deshaun Watson's never playing for this team again, is he? No, I don't think so. Um, and look, it's it's tough when you when you talk about Deshaun Watson, there's twenty-nine different facets to this whole situation. And I and I always I'm hesitant to even try to give a synopsis of it. Uh I'd I'd say right now, given everything that happened with the twenty-four different women accusing him of sexual assault, with the fact that he had asked for a trade back in January, somewhere along the way, the Texans decided, okay. We we are going to trade him early on. I I believe, and a lot of people believe that the Texans didn't want to trade Deshaun Watson. It got to the point where they said, "Okay, we're going to trade Deshaun Watson," and now it's just a matter of waiting for finding the right offer. I think personally that the best offer won't come until March or so, when the Texans will be able to know exactly what draft picks they'd be getting in a trade, and also that perhaps by then the legal situations will have been resolved. So teams that are trading for Deshaun Watson know exactly what they are or or are not getting. Yeah, when, when I look at it from the outside, again, I'm thinking to myself, I've heard people say, well, you know, the league's not going to let him play and all these things. Look, you know, there is, like you said, many sides. The idea of these accusations and maybe it ends up being the, the lawsuits, whatever happens with them in the legal process. 
but I believe he's going to play in this league. Seth, we've seen it for a lot of years. Guys have done a lot of stuff or been accused of a lot of stuff and they play. So if we can get to that point of saying that he can play, the question then is what can they get for him and move on from that from again, from a guy just watching him in the league, when this all occurred, you're around in Houston. How much of a surprise or a shock was anything on the negative side with this guy? Uh, it was it was a really big surprise. I mean, this this is a guy that had done everything the right way when he came in as a as a rookie. You know, before he ever got his really huge contract, he he helped out three cafeteria workers who had lost their homes during Hurricane Harvey, helped them build new houses. He's he's done a lot for single mothers through his foundation. Um, he's he's really done a lot of incredible things. And I think the, the fact that he was first implicated in anything at all was a bit of a shock, but you always wait and see in these. It was it was as each successive accusation came forward in each lawsuit that was filed. It took a while, I think, for a lot of people to really digest and absorb the enormity of the situation. And I think in, in some respects, people still are. And, and regardless of whether you say, hey, innocent until proven guilty, you don't know anything at all. Yes, that's true. But that also you can't disbelieve 22 women, tw- excuse me, 24 women. There's 22 lawsuits. There's 10 complaints to the Houston Police Department. Two of those women that made complaints aren't filing lawsuits. So there's 24 total women. Um but it was, uh, it, and this all came after Deshaun also. He'd signed a huge contract back in August. January, he asks for a trade. That was enough drama in and of itself. Mm-hmm. With the Texans had a whole lot of other drama in the locker room during the season. And then you just, you, you heaped all of this on top of the already existing drama. And it's really been, it's really been like almost like clockwork. Like every month or two in Houston, some huge bomb drops. Yeah, and it was like... Deshaun showing up to training camp. That was nobody expected that. I we had talked about it on our show, and I had said about a month before training camp. Look, the best strategy, just for for strictly strategic purposes, the best thing for Deshaun to do would be to show up to training camp. And everybody said, "Oh, that's 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 ridiculous." And I thought, "Yeah, that's dumb. He's not going to do that." He shows up to training camp. And then the Texans just say, "Okay, cool. You're going to go off and work off on the side." And um, and uh, and and the whole world said. Well, that's just too weird. It's not going to last. It's been like that now for yeah. seven, eight weeks. Yeah. So there's my, you, so like I promised, I would keep it short when I tried to explain to Sean. <laughs> I think I just spoke for seven minutes and didn't explain well, a damn thing. Yeah, you did. You gave us a sense of what it is. At least he didn't show up sort of fat like uh, James Harden did when he came right. back. From the riot. Oh, oh, yeah. We don't. But, uh, there's another facet. Sorry, there's thirty facets to this. We live in this city where we've seen this departure after departure of superstar athlete. You know, James Harden was a big one, and James Harden, he forced his way out. Yeah. And then that leads to all the speculation of, oh, wait a second, Deshaun signed a huge contract in August, decides he doesn't like it in Houston, tries to force his way out in January. Do we? Can we blame James Harden for this, too? <laughs> um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook wanted to leave, so they let him leave. Uh, yeah. George Springer left. He's up in Toronto. Everybody's leaving. You haven't left. No, no, I did for a few years, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, let's look at this current team. Uh, You got a former Bills assistant and David Cully ends up with a head coaching job. Yeah. Nice man. uh, Been around the league. Uh, Is he long for Houston? Okay. 
and, and you said the critical phrase, nice guy. That's what everybody yeah. says about David Cully. Nice guy. Nobody was ever talking about him as a head coaching candidate. When he interviewed for the Texans, we all assumed down here, okay, this seems like maybe it's a favor to somebody. Right. This is him trying to get his name out there, maybe trying to have some leverage and some contract negotiations with the Ravens. Uh, but when he was hired to be the coach, really nobody expected it. It was really out of out of uh, it, it came out of nowhere. Um, I think that one thing the conspiracy theory would be that hey, the Texans know this is a reset that they're going to hire a coach that can kind of help steer the ship, pay, you know, not get paid a whole ton of money. He doesn't have a really lucrative coaching contract by NFL standards. And maybe in a couple of years, they'll find their guy. David Culley has grown on a lot of us. I include myself in that. And, you know, he's, it's a classic example of you're so angry at the team for all of the things they're done that anything that they add, you don't want to like, but I found myself grudgingly start to like him over time. Yeah. And, and a big part of it was that as much negativity as, as there is around the team, they did go out and sign a whole bunch of veterans on one year deals. So you get into training camp and there's been nothing but drama about the Texans all off season long, the season before it's been drama, 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 Bill O'Brien, this Jack Easterby, that we got into training camp. And, and honestly, it was probably one of the most smoothly run training camps I'd seen. And the reason is they have very few young players. Bill O'Brien took care of that. He traded away all the draft picks. So there are, there are all these guys who are veteran players on one one and two year deals who are trying to make the squad, but they're bona fide NFL players. Maybe they should be backup. Maybe they're fringe starters, but they're bona fide NFL players. And, you know, they're, they, you know, when you go through training camp, you see a whole lot of times coaches getting furious and starting drills over and uh, eruptions on the field. There really wasn't a whole lot of that because everything moved pretty smoothly. So what you have with this Texans team and with David Culley as their coach I think it's a, it's a coach who's been in the NFL for decades, who has a group of guys who genuine, you know, don't need a whole bunch of instructional videos on how to be an NFL player. And Cully's doing a good job with it. There have been some game management issues in a couple of these games that are curious. And I guess you would expect from a, a rookie NFL. I mean, gosh, you expect him from Mike McCarthy. So I don't know if that <laughs> says that he can't be a coach. Um, but he's, he's won a lot of people over. He's in a very difficult circumstance and I think he's, he's doing the best he probably could be expected to do under these circumstances. All right. So you're a bills fan. I'm projecting somebody is a bills fan. There's watching this. They watch us on Buffalo plus and you're playing this week. You're 17 point favorites. You're coming off back to back, huge blowouts. And you have Kansas city in Kansas city a week from Sunday. So typical being fans, you think this is our team. What if they don't show up? Like, what can right. happen? How can the Texans pull off an upset against the Bills? It would have to be with turnovers. Um, because Lovey Smith is a defensive coordinator, and he he preaches turnovers. And a lot of coaches claim that they preach and focus on turnovers. Lovey Smith really, really emphasizes the turnover. He wants to be a ball-hawking defense. And when he was in Chicago as the head coach, they were perennially – in the top five or six of forced turnovers on defense. It helps when you've got peanut Tillman and Brian Urlacher. I don't think the Texans are going to be top five or six, um, but they are a very opportunistic team. Last year, the Texans forced nine turnovers the entire season. So far this year in three games, they've forced five turnovers um, with two of those, with five of those in the first two games last week, they forced 
a couple fumbles with strip sacks, but the Texans didn't recover them. So they're gonna they're gonna be going after the ball. If the Bills mess up and turn the ball over against them, and then on offense, if they let Brandon Cooks get behind the secondary, that would be the formula, you know. And then uh, all the other normal things, uh, special teams and whatnot. Um, but Brandon Cooks is still a very viable deep threat. He has received an extreme number of targets relative to everybody else. I mean, if you if you slow down or limit Brandon Cooks, the Texans offense probably isn't going to do much. Um, Davis Mills is going to play, right? He's the yep. he's the quarterback. It's a shame because fans, you know, uh, didn't get to see Fitz last week and aren't getting to see Terod Taylor play this week. Uh, Mills, he's got a long neck. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I didn't catch any of that until after the game. I didn't realize yeah. his neck had gone viral. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I got to work up some uh, Takeo Spikes versus Davis Mills graphic. Yeah. You, you should do that. Do that on your broadcast. Okay. Um, you, get a, you, you can have that one. That's my yeah, gift okay, to you. Okay, thanks. So, uh, so he is – well, okay, you bring up his neck. where He's got a long neck, but it's a muscular neck. Yes. He does – he looks like a 1990s-era quarterback. He's like a young – he's honestly like a – he's got the physique of a young Jim Kelly where he's – He's not the best athlete in the world, but he's big. He's solid. He can break tackles. He can do all of that. He is faster than you expect him to be, but it's just that the the bar has been raised so high for quarterback athleticism that you don't you know you don't think of Davis Mills as an athlete where he actually moves around pretty well. So I think there is there is the threat of an option game here and there where he can rumble for five or six yards at times. But the big thing with him during training camp was it it just looked like the game was moving a little too fast for him. It looks like now things have slowed down a little bit. He got thrust into action at halftime in the Cleveland game, and he had a hard time even making handoffs in that game. So we really did not expect much of him at all on Thursday night. He came around, and with a, a, a very short week of preparation, once the Texans took the, the reins off of him a little bit, uh, he really he had a nice – a two-minute drive at the end of the first half. He started going through his reads, his progressions. He looked a lot more comfortable. Um, and, he, and he looks like there might be some hope for him as a viable NFL quarterback. That's about as excited as I could get about him right now. Yeah. Um, when you look at this game uh, for the Bills defense, you talk about turnovers. And Leslie Frazier, a guy who interviewed with the Texans, who has done a phenomenal job this year, is the most soft-spoken member of the 1985 Super Bowl shuffle bears that you can imagine. He's the only guy that doesn't yell and scream. It seems like from that team, <laughs> but part of me was thinking, you know, Leslie never seems like that guy, but yeah, he didn't get the job when he was at his age, a shot at a head coaching job and his defenses looked pretty good. And they were in full attack mode last week. Uh, I, not that he needs to prove a point, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in attack mode on mills this week. And, and that, that's what you always wonder about with a rookie quarterback. Okay, do you stay back and stay vanilla and see what happens? Or or do you just go ahead and go into attack and try to force him into a mistake? I think the guy, the guy that I would worry about with Davis Mills specifically is Matt Milano. Um, and I'm saying from a Texans fan perspective, I would worry about Matt Milano because you see this with rookie quarterbacks all the time is they start to think they know what they're seeing. And then all of a sudden a linebacker, pops into a zone out of nowhere on an underneath route, you know, and that's, that's what I would worry about with Davis Mills. Cause I, I've, I've always admired Matt Milano from afar whenever I watch a Texans game. And it's, it sure seems like he's always popping up at the right moment. He is. And, I, yeah. yeah. 
it is something about Milano. You know, they drafted Tremaine Edmonds in the first round, who's a, a good player, but he's a first-round pick. They drafted Matt Milano in the fifth round. That was part of that first year when, you know, McDermott came. Uh, it was actually before Brandon Bean had taken over. In the offseason, they got Poy a Poyer, Hyde. They drafted Trey White, Deion Dawkins, and Matt Milano. So that's pretty good shift of a team right there. Yeah, it got they got stacked all of a sudden. Um, yeah. You know, and down here, too, um, you know, people know Ed Oliver in Houston, yeah. obviously, and people love Ed Oliver. And I know it's Ed Oliver's had a few of those welcome to the NFL types of moments over the, the last few years. Um, it, it seems for a guy like him who's not the conventional body type of an NFL player, sometimes it can take a little while for him to figure out what he can and can't do. And especially, you know, he was able to, in that conference, kind of bully people and get away without, get away with not using his hands properly all the time and just kind of bulldozing people. And you've seen him start to make that transition to realize exactly how much more technically sound he needs to be in the NFL. All right. So speaking of a transition, you were just talking about, you know, playing the defensive line in that position. So that's what you did in this league drafted. In fact, in fact, let's take a second. We're going to bring you back right here to a big day for you. No matter how many times Seth Payne's family sees it, the reaction is still the same. First of all, I'm excited to get picked. And then I'm really excited to go to Jacksonville. Uh, they're a team that really showed the most interest and, uh, so there you are. <laughs> the kid's face is huge. <laughs> that was the story we did. Our Rich Beckham's yeah. reporter came out with your family, uh, drafted in the fourth round by the Jags. What were you thinking in that moment? Um, I was just relieved. You know, it's it's such a it's such a long process when you have to sit through the first round. And I think back then it was the first three rounds on the first day and then four through seven on the second day. And I was, I was right there where I was being told I might go anywhere from late second round to somewhere in the fifth round. So all the way through the second and third round, I'm taking calls and I'm hearing stuff. And, um, and, and I guess what you can't, what you would never expect is that, Guys that are waiting in the draft have usually had a good amount of athletic success in their life, but with each pick, it's a rejection. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh no, we don't like we don't like you. We like this guy. So for a bunch of guys that are used to getting picked first, to you know, in, in the pickup game or whatever, it's a little bit different. Now I came from a smaller school, so I didn't have the expectations of a lot of guys from a, an Alabama or something like that. But it's just it's a it's a long, long day. And then the more when you've got all those people waiting around too, you feel like there's you feel like you're letting them down when you're not getting drafted. And you start going through like, oh boy, what what happens if I don't get drafted at all? It's going to be really embarrassing. So luckily <laughs> that the, the Jaguars put me out of my misery in the fourth round all right so victor high school go to cornell i'm going to ask you about that in a minute and you get in the nfl now uh fourth round pick i got your numbers here 121 games 98 starts three playoff games and if not mistaken you were in the game dan marino's last game right for the dolphins that's right 62 yep. to 7 yep it was the um Jimmy Johnson benched yeah. him in that game and because he was a mess. The, the the Dolphins had played in Seattle the week before the, the previous playoff game and or the week before at the end of the regular season, I think, right? Um yeah. and uh and they and then he just he just beat him up in practice. So they came in and they were a mess of a team. So we just crushed him. 
and, and poor Dan Marino was throwing up ducks all over the place. And I look, I grew up a Bills fan. I didn't like Dan Marino, but I, I felt bad by the fourth quarter. <laughs> poor Dan, <laughs> the Dan Marino, just his last game and his last memory of playing in the NFL would be as just this completely ineffective quarterback. But it also, um, it felt a little bit good. It did. Okay. Yeah. I went through some other numbers for you. 17 and a half career sacks. How much do you remember about them? Because I believe I have the name of every quarterback you sacked in the NFL. Oh, really? So I oh. wanted, first of all, your first sack okay. was considered a half a sack, I believe. Okay. Do you remember who that was against? I have no idea who well, was. How many, wait, wait, was how, it somebody from either Kansas City? No? <laughs> half a sack against Neil O'Donnell. Oh, my gosh. Okay. okay. How many quarterbacks you sacked? 17 and a half. Okay. Do you remember anyone specifically? And do you remember who the biggest name quarterback any ones you can remember, biggest name quarterbacks you got. Peyton Manning was the biggest. Got Peyton, yes. Yep. Peyton and Manning. I, I was. Uh, I felt really excited about that one because I got it like right up the gut. He decided. Two thousand and five. Yep. Yeah, he didn't expect it. it um, let's see. Uh, beyond that, Steve McNair, right? Yes, Steve McNair. Yep. Steve McNair. I know I missed Brett Favre. You did. That's still, that's, that one still haunts me. Um, Rich Gannon. Did I t- did say? not I get Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon. Nope. This is a boy. I can't imagine what it's you got like for somebody guy, like Bruce Smith. You got this guy twice. You got three guys twice. You got McNair okay. twice. Okay. Um, this guy was playing for the Bengals. Used to be with the Lions for a while in the Dolphins. You got him twice. You got a Jaguars quarterback twice, who's still in <laughs> oh, the league coaching. Well, Byron Leftwich. Okay. Byron Leftwich. Yeah. Yes. Uh yes. You got. So here's your list. Uh, you got your first full sack. Jeff Blake. Oh, okay. I remember that. You got two against Scott Mitchell, two against McNair. You got (laughs) Randall Cunningham when he was with the Ravens. That's right. Huge, deceptively fast podcast. Yes. Down Randall Cunningham. That's exactly right. That's one of the guys (laughs) I say. That's one of the the names I drop when I like let when I want guys to think I'm really, really old. That and Mark, I think I tackled Marcus Allen once too. When people find out I played against Randall Cunningham and Marcus Allen, they lose yeah, their Yeah, you got Quincy yeah. Carter, Aaron Brooks, Jake Plummer, Matt Hasselbeck, John Navarre, Navarre, Arizona. Oh, and Dante yeah. Culpepper. <laughs> and you got Dante. I got some pretty good athletes. You there. did. I, I think that's the element of surprise there. I, uh, boy, you're right. I got to start trumping that up in my, in the deceptively fast podcast. Uh, Yes. When, it, when there's some, there's some real, well, now Peyton Manning, uh, you know, this right. guy maybe, well, you yeah, know. that's the ironic one. But that's he got the rid guy of the I had to sneak up on. Yes. I think the other guys, I think a lot of those other guys, and I'm thinking back to a lot of those sacks, it was stuff where I was pursuing from the inside out and they probably underestimated how fast I was. And they kind of, <laughs> they figured they could just roll out easily. And I did have a lot of like diving at the ankles type no, no, of sacks. But you could listen, unless somebody's going to look it up, like yeah. I did with the numbers. Unless you're going to look up the video, you just say it was a stunt. You crashed around the end. You came flying in, went for the strip sack, and you got him, right? Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you can brag about it a little bit. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. Your your career at, at Victor and then going to Cornell, what moment are you thinking, uh, I'm, I'm an NFL guy? Um, that's a, it's a really good question. Because I was thinking about it the other day. I was trying to reconstruct it in my mind. As you can tell by my recollection of who I sacked, I don't I don't spend a whole lot of time going back and getting the details of my my life right. Um, I think that my junior year 
at Cornell, I had really grown up. I grew a couple inches when I was, um, I grew a couple inches from my freshman year to my junior year. So I went in and I was like a tall six, two, and I ended up being six, four. I put on a lot of weight. Um, so I think by the time I was a junior, people looked at me and thought, oh, okay, that's an NFL sized guy. And scouts would come in and look at film and everything. And they, they took our 40 times, but, um, it, it wasn't until after my junior season that I started to get a little feedback that the teams were interested. And at that time, you know, Ivy League football had just started getting a little bit more serious. My my freshman class was the first time they even allowed freshmen to play on varsity in the past 50 or 60 years or so. Um, so so it was getting more serious. And, and the the Cornell had hired a strength coach named Tom Howley, who's still there. And he was Cornell's first full-time strength coach. And I really just kind of turned myself over to him. And that's what changed everything. I was really lucky for being at a school like Cornell. I had a really, really good strength coach in Tom Howley, who I basically spent every day that offseason with. I stayed at Cornell in the summer. Not a lot of guys were doing that back then either, um, which they are now at, at Ivy League schools. And and then my position coach, Pete DiStefano, who was at Cornell forever and just retired, was a real stickler for technique. So I I was... For being in a place that at the time hadn't had anybody drafted out of the Ivy League in over a decade, I just I had a couple of really good mentors and and I was in just the right circumstance to where guys told me I could do it, convinced me I could do it, and then kind of showed me the way. And and so is that process like really just in the course of one spring of my junior year where I uh, where where it seemed real and it seemed like something that I should really go after. Yeah. Um when you think about Ivy league guys, of course we had Fitz here forever and everybody loves Fitz. Um, we joke because within the first 10 seconds, somebody says he went to Harvard. Yeah, You know, yeah. that's always the thing. <laughs> I heard him in an interview, talk about Mike Martz screaming at him for making mistakes when he was first with the Rams calling him Harvard. Cause uh -huh. you get the Ivy league thing. So I want to ask you this one. Do you find yourself pulling for Ivy league guys that are in the NFL or playing in sports? Oh, I do, especially the linemen, because I think there's um, there's always yeah, there's always that perception one, one that you're uh, people either overestimate your intelligence or they think that you're just you know you're you're there because you were a good athlete and that's the only reason. Right. But the truth is, it's somewhere in between. You know, okay, you're not as smart as the average student at a lot of those schools, but you're smarter than just like your average dumb jock book <laughs> book wise. But yes. now being book smart, and that's the other part, being book smart sometimes is the worst possible thing for also being football smart because guys just they, they have paralysis by analysis. You know, they yeah. just they think too much and they don't go out and just feel the game. So I, I, uh, I always and then the other thing, this is what happens when you're uh, a senior is you got these guys coming in and scouting and a lot of the scouts want to know whether you actually care about making the league. Because they think, oh, well, you probably just want to go to law school or medical school or something. And I, I'd find myself in this position of like being like, look, look, I don't take my schoolwork very seriously at all. In fact, I, uh, I really don't have any other options other than this. So yeah, I'm, uh, don't, don't, don't make that mistake of thinking that I'm like so, so elevated that I don't, I don't want to play in the NFL. This is the only thing I got going on in my life, man. Don't take this from me. Um, we had Ross Tucker on, Princeton guy, and I asked him. I go, come on, Fitz gets the whole Harvard thing. I asked yeah. him. Give me your overall ranking of the Ivy Leagues. Because Harvard and Yale always get one, two. And does Cornell get shortchanged in this? Mm. 
Uh, well, yeah, well, Ross would tell you yes, because we have him on once. We have him on weekly on our radio show down in Houston. Yeah. Uh, and we, we go back and forth a good amount. And uh, he would he would definitely find an opportunity to 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 dump on Cornell. Um, Cornell is I'd say this to any of you young recruits out there. This is the thing you're going to get at Cornell. Real people like uh, people, people that actually have some grounding in the real world. That don't believe they're in some ivory tower. Uh, they, they they don't need to to commingle with the masses and what have you. It's a uh, it's actually got uh, a a, a blue collar appeal to it that those other hoity toity places do not have. And um, they've got we've got an ag school, which those people at those schools at Princeton, Yale, Harvard, they'll try to look down their noses at you because uh, they're 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 barely they want to be Europeans. They don't even really enjoy being Americans. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I know Ithaca. I went to Ithaca. So we used to say, yeah, we're on the South Hill. The smart kids are on the other hill. Spent a lot of time <laughs> in college town, though. Loved it. A lot of time at Shulkoff Field. I mean, that's a that was a cool place to be around uh, during that time. And you made the Hall of Fame at Cornell, the all time Cornell. Thing. That's that's honors. I, I would say, you know, you joke about a lot of stuff, but you've had a heck of a career in this game. It was oh thanks yeah no and it was I'm I you know I almost transferred out of Cornell after my sophomore season, um, so I'm glad you brought that up because I guess that's a more real world question. That's the the actual response to whether I thought I could be in the NFL or not was I wanted to transfer after my sophomore year because I just I felt like I needed to prove myself on a bigger level and my coach Pete DeStefano, who I told you about, um, I, the thing. The thing that got me to stay at Cornell was Pete DeStefano telling me that he loved me and if I went somewhere else, he'd cheer for me every Saturday and he wanted what was best for me. And it was one of those things where <laughs> like, like he totally and completely demonstrated how much he cared about me by by being willing to let me go. And, and I stuck around and I couldn't have been happier with the choice because I think there's on the football side of things, it, it 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 was exactly the right environment for me. Um, and it was being around. The best thing about playing at a school like Cornell is that you're around guys that 100% want to be playing college football. Where at a lot of big-time programs, those are kids were almost preordained from the time they were ninth graders that that's what they were going to be doing. You know, and they got scholarship offers when the, the, the – three years before they showed up on campus yeah. and and it's it's not like that with guys at some of the smaller schools and so it's it's fun to be around those guys guys that are really hungry just to win football games yeah and at the end here if i could circle back around yesterday we had some with brian dable on who by the way that man should be a head coach in this league and maybe even houston could be a candidate depending on what they do but his grandmother passed away and he was very close with her and the players sort of rallied around that. And he's very close with Josh Allen. And when you just said that about your coach, it was interesting to hear Brian yesterday say the players don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. And he believes that. And, yeah. and you got Josh Allen in the news conference saying, I love Brian Dable. Like he means so much to him. And I think sometimes fans don't realize, even within a coaching staff or a training staff or something, how much that personal and interpersonal connection, they just see numbers, they see a guy. But sometimes that's the trigger. A guy like Josh Allen, to know that they cared about him and they were going to support him to get him to this point, because not every team does that. No, and it's um, I think more and more 
we're in an era of football where a lot of coaches just want to be X's and O's geniuses. Uh, you know, they, they grew up, they grew up with Madden. They grew up with all these other things. And, and sometimes they lose that human side of it. That some of the greatest coaches of all time haven't been the smartest strategic coaches. They've been the guys like Jimmy Johnson, who are just really, really good with people. They've been, um, Marv Levy, who's a special teams coach, you know, it's, uh, but man, nobody was better. Nobody was better with people than Marv Levy. Nobody, nobody understood mature men who played football better than Marv Levy. Um, and yeah, I think, I think some guys remember that or some guys realize that and some guys don't quite get it. Yeah. It takes some work and it takes some trust, but I think, you know, the good places and we've seen it fail here in Buffalo for years and they th- seem to have gotten it right. And it's kind of funny that the, the, after all these years, Buffalo is now one of those places. They're one of yeah. those places that other teams want to emulate. And it's really been quite a transition. That's what I, I try to tell people down here when people are feeling uh, completely uh, completely forlorn about the state of the Texans and the franchise yeah. and ownership and all of that. The thing to remember about football teams is that even though they are multi-billion dollar enterprises, they're still, they're small entities. You know, they're small businesses. You're talking of the couple hundred people or so total from all the players up through front office staff, marketing and all of that. And because of that, the turnaround is sometimes just two or three key people. You know, maybe sometimes just one one key person. And, you know, how how long ago were they saying that the 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 Pakulas just didn't know what they were talking about or how how to run an yeah. NFL franchise. You hire a couple of the right people and all of a sudden you you look like a genius. So yeah. that's the that's that's the lesson of the Bills. It's just a few key people go a long long way. Yeah, and and in to tie it to the Texans is funny. A guy like Terod Taylor who, you know, ended up being just a very short part of this. But for that year, he was a really good guy for McDermott to get his feet wet to have him in there they ended up making the playoffs and then he moved on but it doesn't always happen with the guy right away and Josh wasn't the guy right away so again for the Texans they get the right guy in there and you start building that you know he may end up being different people but it looks like it, it can work it, yeah, hey, yeah if it can happen in Buffalo it can happen anywhere yeah, it's all. It's just you just don't want it to take as long as it took in Buffalo. <laughs> that's yeah, the that that's true. the problem. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we really appreciate. It. Let people know, especially people in Western New York who have the connection to you, uh, where they can hear you, what you got going on. Um, well, sportsradio610.com, if you look at us on the uh, odyssey.com app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Uh, but I guess the more accessible one, the more national-oriented one is my podcast, the Deceptively Fast Podcast with Seth Payne, which you can find everywhere, uh, just about everywhere. The and, the, and the Twitter feed is? Oh, uh, at Seth C. Payne. And on Instagram, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to be on Instagram, too. Uh, that's at Seth C. Payne on Instagram. Yeah, also. the, um, the uh, Aaron Rodgers tweet the other day. Uh, I oh, <laughs> looking like meeting the dad after the uh, divorce was spectacular. Yeah, it was a great a... follow. It's a great follow. <laughs> yeah, at Seth C. Payne. I try to be. I've had to. I've slowly. I've slowly tried to. I've, I. I keep trying to step away from Twitter for my mental health, but it always reels me back in. <laughs> it can. It can get you. All right. Hey, thanks very much. We look forward to uh, the game this week and to seeing how things go and maybe checking in with you again down the road at some point. Oh, I was honored to be on. Thanks, Mike. 
All right. Thanks. And remember, for all of you, thanks for being on the Buffalo Plus YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe, like, and comment, and we will be back with you. And remember, every Thursday night, we are on live, 7 o'clock for Buffalo Plus Live. We'll see you again the next time.